This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. That's right. It's time for With the First Pick, a CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. This is episode 11. I'm CBS Sports Draft Analyst Ryan Wilson, and I'm joined by our general manager, good old Rick Spielman, who has more than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. On today's show, we'll take one last look back at Super Bowl 57 and the rookie class that made a difference for both the Eagles and the Chiefs. We'll talk some takeaways from the players who made the combine invite list and those who were snubbed. And last week in Phoenix, our player comp segment was such a huge hit. We're going to do more of those today. And finally, we'll add a few more names to our just good football players list post-senior bowl edition. Also, good news. With the 2022 season now in the books, we're expanding the show to two days a week. So join us this Thursday and then going forward next Monday and Thursday for even more NFL draft coverage. You can always watch us live on the NFL on CBS YouTube channel or you can get the audio version on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, if you have a draft question for me or Rick or suggestion for Rick's picks, drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and let us know. We'll answer them on an upcoming mailbag episode. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at NFL Draft CBS. All right, Rick, let's get to it. Tell us, first of all, how was it traveling all over the country with me and then flying home on short notice to do this podcast? Well, I think the best part of this podcast is when we went to the Men and Blazers studio, working out of your uh, hotel room off of an ironing board. Uh, <laughs> thank God that Debo supplied us with all the necessary equipment to carry on this show, and you have to work with the circumstances you had. But I did like the uh, Men and Blazers uh, studio, and hopefully down the road we'll be able to do that again. You re- you really talked that up. I, you're a very simple guy. You, all you need is an ironing board and a and a hotel room and a camera, and we're ready to make a podcast. Yeah, uh, well, for a guy that lost his house in a hurricane, I've learned simple is good. Anything simple, I'll take. That's right. And look, not funny that Rick lost his house in a hurricane, but I'll be honest, I've heard about that probably four trillion times in the last two weeks. House has been rebuilt. The roof is on. His golf house is not rebuilt. We got a roof over our head. You got the roof. The golf community appears to be coming back. Uh, so <laughs> prayers answered. Thank goodness that you will soon have a place to live, Rick. Uh, although we'll be in India in a few weeks for the combines. So we'll talk about that. But before we do that, let's talk about the impact uh, of some of these rookies in Super Bowl 57. We talked about them last week um, in Phoenix. We did our, our with the first big podcast show from the Super Bowl, which is sort of fun. And the, the deck was sort of stacked in the favor of, of the Chiefs having more rookies that contributed. 
but it wasn't like the the Eagles didn't have a couple guys, obviously starting with with Jordan Davis, their first round pick. Reed Blankenship, the undrafted free agent, made a huge impact over the course of the season once injuries hit them. And Grant Calcaterra was was really the only offensive uh, player that contributed as a rookie for the Eagles. You said you watched every single snap of every single rookie in the Super Bowl because, you know, that's how you roll. Uh, tell me this. Who stood out most to you from that rookie class? I'm going to guess it was on the Chiefs side of the ball. Yeah, because the Chiefs side made all the plays, and they had a uh, that rookie class got better and better uh, as they went through the season, and they seemed to peak at the right time. And then all of them made plays in the Super Bowl. But you know, Isaiah Pacheco is the one that really stuck out to me because he was a late round, seventh round pick. Everybody knew he could run fast, but he didn't have the holes to run through at Rutgers like he's having right now, which you saw in that game is not only that he is a violent runner, but he has unbelievable, uh, excellent speed. And once he hits a crease, uh, he'll make one cut. Now he's not going to be a guy that dances and makes you miss. He'll make a cut and then he explodes off that cut and gets it upfield. And then when he, people come and start to contact him. He lowers his shoulder, and he's always getting three or four extra yards after contact. He had the touchdown run, the one-yard run there. Uh, you know, he, he caught the ball a few times, but for the most part, when you watched him, when he hit that seam, especially in this game, he was amped up, and I thought he played one of his best games of the year on the biggest stage of the year. 23rd selection in the seventh round, so – Former general manager, let me ask, how, how does Isaiah Pacheco last that long? You mentioned his speed. He timed, hit a crazy time at the Combine. Um, he looked smaller at Rutgers, but maybe that's just be because, I, I don't know, maybe he's put on some pounds. I don't think he's put on a lot of weight. I went back and checked. His weight was, I think, 215-ish at the Combine. How does that guy slip that far and then have that sort of success? I, I think everybody knew the speed, but – Everybody didn't see, and it was hard to see on the Rutgers tape, how natural he is as a runner. Now, Rutgers didn't have a lot of holes for him to hit through, and he's not a guy that's going to create a lot on his own. How he creates and how he becomes productive is when he has a small crease, and Kansas City Chiefs offensive line did a phenomenal job in that Super Bowl. They opened up some creases for him, and you've seen that all year. If he gets a crease and can get to the second level, that's where his speed and his ability to run through tackles, he's a violent runner, and he was amped up that game and made a lot of big plays for Kansas City. Let's go to the other side of the ball, because also amped up and making a lot of big plays. Leo Chennault, the one of the last players taken in round three, I thought he had a good season. Uh, all those guys on defense played a ton of snaps. There were six guys, rookies, that played over 200 snaps, I believe. What did you see from Leo Chennault in, in, the, in the big game? Yeah, he did a great job uh, versus the run. There was a play that uh, early in the game where he closed from the backside, shot through a gap. He's a very solid wrap-up tackler. Um, you know, his forte is going forward and playing the run. I don't think he's great, and he's not in a lot of nickel situations. But in this game, he, he played fast. Uh, he has sideline-to-sideline -side range. He runs through contact when he's tackling people. Very instinctive, and he did a great job, which you don't see a lot of these college kids do, but they learn it when they get to the NFL is what we call heavy hands or using his hands to shed and separate off the offensive lineman. And he's very instinctive once he gets that initial separation to burst and locate the ball. And you see that 
consistently through this game. So let's go to the very first player that was drafted last year by the by the Chiefs, 21st overall, Trent McDuffie. He was in the right place for that A.J. Brown touchdown. Juan Thornhill, the safety, was a little late getting over. Great throw by Jalen Hurts, even better catch by A.J. Brown. That's what you want to be there. He lost the ball as he was turning his head around, but he made some plays later on. What did you see from Trent McDuffie? Yeah, the thing that uh, really surprised me is how good a tackler he is. Now, he missed a tackle, the big tackle, um, that he he missed a couple tackles, but the very first play of the game, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles bounced it out to the Philadelphia Eagles' right side, and you, he looked like he was shot out of the cannon from the nickel position. He came great angle and just lit up the running back. I think it was Gainwell. Uh, I can't remember who the running – and when he hit him, he jarred the ball loose. Now it rolled out of bounds. But that, to me, set the tone of the game on that violent hit. And I said, oh, these boys are coming here ready to play today because uh, of, of the hitting. And, and when you're sitting there watching it live, and we were up in the press box, but you can hear the hits on, and, and, and how they were flying around. And I think McDuffie did a great job setting the tone right off the bat. And the only real negative play I've seen, I wish you would have found and locate that ball, but it was a great throw and, and great catch by Hurst and A.J. Brown. The safety, I thought, should have helped over the top. Uh, but other than that, uh, he was very good in coverage. I didn't think he was going to be as aggressive in run support as he has shown since he's came back from that injury and seems to getting more and more confident in open field tackling, uh, being able to break down in space, and then just running through the contact as he closes to the uh, running back. It's funny. I, I think I'll check real quick, but I'm pretty sure that he ran four five five or so. No, he was a little faster than that. I think he was in the four fours at the combine. I'll double check, but the, I think it, the the takeaway is that sometimes what they run in shorts and t shirt on the turf at uh, whatever they call them, the RCA Dome. Now I can never remember the name of the new place. Doesn't necessarily translate to, to on the field. Um, so I'll well, it goes both ways on that, Ryan. Okay, it's some guys that don't run fast at the combine, but play a lot faster. And then you see guys that just fly on that 40 yard dash at the combine, but play a lot slower. So I think in McDuffie's case, he wasn't a four, three guy. He sure plays like he had, he has that type of range, but because he's so instinctive, there's no hesitation in what he's seeing. And that makes him play faster. I think you might, uh, you might be knowing what you're talking about here. Debo says four, four, four. So you were right. I'm just guessing just like you are, because though my guesses are a lot closer to right than yours. Yeah, which is, has, has been a recurring theme these past few weeks. Um, let's talk one more about one more player on, on the Kansas City side, and then we'll go to to the to the uh, Eagle side of a player that I have in mind. But George Karloftis, the 30th overall, the second first-round pick, who had a really good, quietly solid season. There's a lot of slipping going on on both sides, especially by the edge rushers. Did Karloftis, how, how did he look to you uh, in the Super Bowl? Yeah, no, he kind of came on towards the end of the season. I think uh, seven of his eight sacks were from week 10 on. Um, but he didn't have – as he had some pressure on a quarterback, but where he showed up was in the run game. He's another guy that's really came on as far as being able to stand up tight ends, uh, being able to play through offensive tackles. And the one thing that makes him such a good player, even though he may not be that freak-type athlete, he just plays with his motor running hot every play and always pursuing, always fighting, always chasing the ball, chasing the quarterback, and you can win with guys like that. 
we're going to talk about Lucas Van Ness later in the show, and I think there's some similarities in terms of guys who are relatively inexperienced. And uh, as you mentioned, it, they may not be refined as players, but the the power and the upside are there, and you expect them to only get better. Speaking of power and upside, we talked about him last week or maybe the week before when we were in, in Alabama at the Senior Bowl. Jordan Davis came out with a ton of accolades and a ton of expectations. And you said during the regular season, those expectations weren't consistently met. He played just 10 snaps in the Super Bowl. What did you see from him, the, the, the 13th overall pick in last year's draft for the Eagles? Well, this is a little bit of the opposite of what we were just talking about. He was maybe the freakiest of freak athletes for his size at the Combine last year. Um, and everybody, you know, put so much value sometimes into the combine. Uh, but when I watched him play, and I even watched him in this game, he has a tendency to – he can anchor and hold the point, but he's not consistent getting off the ball. He's not consistent locating the ball. He had one uh, quarterback hit, but the uh, Mahomes was forced up into the pocket, and he kind of reacted and had a hit on him before he let the ball go. But for the most part, I just wish he played – and we just talked about – how uh, uh, Karlofka's plays was such a high motor and so much energy. I just wish I'd seen that more out of Davis. Well, let me ask you one more question about that then, because you mentioned when you're six, six or six, seven or whatever Jordan measured at, how can you not, how can you struggle to find the football? Well, again, it's, there's athletic ability. Then there's football player instincts. And just because you're a great athlete doesn't mean you're, and I'm not saying he's not instinctive because he did make some plays at Georgia, and he was a good player at Georgia. But he just looked a little bit slower in reading and reacting to some of the other guys on the Kansas City side and the way they played. So I think that will come in time because you can't coach what he has, the size, the strength, the athleticism, the speed. He just needs to be able to apply that uh, when he's actually playing the game. And that's you see it in spurts, uh, but it's just not as consistent yet. And I think that will come with the more playtime and reps that he does get. So we talked about this at the Senior Bowl just because uh, of the players that are watching. You're not of the opinion that two down interior defensive linemen should be first-round picks, right? No. So Dexter- kid, I can see why everybody fell in love with this kids because – and you can correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, but I'm probably not. But, you know, <laughs> but I'm just kidding. <laughs> from your side, I think you ran in the four sevens at 330 pounds or whatever, 340, whatever you weighed in that size. That's rare. Now, the rest of it will come with time. Um, but that's the thing that that why he went there, because when you have that kind of size, that kind of length, that kind of athleticism, usually that can translate if you get with good coaching. And I think Philadelphia has excellent coaching. That will develop not only as a run defender, but I think it's going to be a pretty good as a pass rusher. And some of the stuff you've seen during the season, he's still relying on a lot of these rookies go back to their comfort zone and don't always apply it to what they're being teached because they don't always feel comfortable using that type of technique. But eventually they do, and then that's when they really take off. Debo confirms 478. You're two for two. Both lucky guesses, both right on the mark. So good job there. So, okay, so listen, uh, Jordan Davis, Dexter Lawrence, are, are those first round? Are, would you take those guys in the first round if you needed, had a need in the middle of the defense? Is one you preferred the other? One has a, a few more years' experience, obviously. Yeah, and, and Dexter Lawrence is becoming a very good football player too. But I think, you know, 
it's a big man's game, and it's a big man's game up in that uh, in that, that front seven, both on the offensive defensive side, although the linebackers seem to be getting smaller every year. But it's still a big man's game up there. And if you feel after you do the interviews, after you do all your research, that, hey, this kid may not be ready yet, but he's going to be a beast in two or three years from now, and you can't teach what he has like we referred to earlier, then you have to go with him uh, because of the upside. Right. No, I don't think anyone thought that um, Jordan Davis wasn't a first-round talent. And, again, one game, one season, especially a rookie season, does not a career make. All right, let's talk about the combine. We, we sort of touched on that with some of the players who, who played in the Super Bowl. Let's start with let's start with the snubs because uh, there are a few names on this list that we saw in Mobile, Alabama, the Senior Bowl that are not going to the combine. And first, before I, I, I mention the names, why don't you explain to me how this list is put together? Because there's input from the the, the 32 NFL teams, and what are you thinking if you're a general manager or director of college scouting? And there's a guy that had a good run at one of these All Star games that's now not on the the combine list. Yeah. Most of the time, um, Jeff Foster puts together a list with the two combine services to initially start the Blesto and the national. Uh, so those two come together. Jeff actually runs the national combine. They come up with the original list of seniors. Uh, they ad ad adjust that list as the season progresses. Uh, there will be some general managers that may ask, um, Hey, can we get this guy in? We can get this guy in, but, what happens is you only have X amount of spots. Uh, you can't bring in 500 guys. It's always around that 330 mark, I believe. 319 and, this year. Yeah. And what you have to do is save spots for the juniors coming out. So there's whatever, 50, 60, whatever amount of juniors come out every year. You have to save a certain amount of spot for them as well because a lot of times there's no work been done on them. They've been taped done on them. But those are the guys that you want to get in front of at the combine. And as a general manager, we always made the point that the Senior Bowl, the East-West, all these all-star games where the seniors are going to show up, let's get as much work as we can get done there with the interview process, the testing, everything we can do. So when we get to the combine, we haven't got in front of those juniors at all. So we can focus a lot of our time on the testing on the interview process with the juniors that are eligible to come out in the draft. Okay. So let's go over the, the snubs quickly. And four of the names that I have on this list were at the senior bowl, Aubrey Miller out of Jackson state. He's a linebacker, Carl Brooks, the defensive lineman who lines up just about everywhere along the defensive line at about two ninety. played a lot outside at Bowling green. Our favorite guy, I think uh, that showed it was a late invite. Marte Mapu, the safety slash linebacker from Sacramento state, I think he only practiced one day and may have suffered an injury, but that one day left a left a left a mark for sure. And then finally, Kedron Smith, a cornerback out of Kentucky, also laid ad who certainly had a good week, didn't do anything to make you think otherwise. Two of the names I have on the list, Rick, are Kobe Turner, uh, the defensive lineman out of Wake Forest, and of course, Xavier Valaday, the running back at Arizona State. I haven't watched him yet. He went to the Shrine game and impressed a lot of people. And you said you heard recently uh, that he's a guy to watch as well. Yeah, I actually I threw tape on him before we got on this podcast because we're going to have to talk about him. So uh, he had a very big game against UCLA when I watched him. He's a bigger back, six foot. I believe he's going to be over 200 pounds. 
He's a little bit of an upright runner, but he has very good inline vision. He's not Pacheco, but he's Pacheco-like as far as one cut and get up the field. What I'd like to see a little better from him is lower his pads on contact, although he does seem to go forward once the initial hit is made on him. Uh, he had very good hands out of the backfield. He definitely needs a lot of work in pass protection. Uh, but there's going to be, and Ryan, I know you've seen a lot of these. I think it's going to be a very deep running back class. Not, And I, I'm talking about, you know, the kid, everybody knows uh, Gibbs. Everybody knows Robinson. Uh, some of the runners that were down at the Senior Bowl. But when you get into Saturday, guys like these, especially if they have a very good pro day, Someone's going to like them well enough that those guys do end up getting drafted at some point on Saturday. But I think this is a very deep running back class that you're going to get value uh, not only on on Thursday night, if you do take one on Thursday night, but for sure Friday and Saturday, there's value all over the place on runners. Yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, Debo's got the list of invites that the running back position. Your guy, Eric Gray, my guy, Evan Hull. I think he came around on Evan Hull as the week went on in Mobile. No, I didn't, but that's fine. Go ahead. He had a good week. Ty J. Yeah, Spears, who's going to be a, a, probably a day two guy if injuries are no problem. Uh, Sir Roderick Thompson was a late ad. And he ran hard uh, later in the week from Texas Tech and had a good game as well. And uh, <laughs> let me talk about two guys that, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I think they're top one. 100 top 125 guys, Carl Brooks, the defensive line out of Bowling Green, and Marte Mapu, the safety slash linebacker out of Sacramento State. Now, maybe the thing with Mapu is you don't know where you play him. He's undersized for linebacker, not fast enough for safety. He didn't look slow on tape when he played primarily safety, and they had him lined up at slot at times at Sacramento State. And Carl Brooks was a, a an absolute game wrecker wherever they lined him up. I, I'm confused why they did not make the cut because, you know, this is an ongoing process. And would you be surprised if these guys are drafted, you know, let's say late round four or higher? Yeah, I could, I think both these guys, especially uh, Brooks from Bowling Green. Um, and the reason I say that is because he really had a very good senior bowl week, in my opinion. Yeah. They played him standing. He's almost 300 pounds. They played him standing up from a two point on the edge. Uh, everybody knows that that's not going to be what he's going to do with the NFL. So they reduced him down inside to a three technique or defensive tackle. And I thought he, he had no, no concerns at all or no issues making that transition during the senior bowl week. And you've seen him improve every day and you've seen him not only make some plays in the run game, uh, but he also has that quick first step twitch that everybody's looking for as a pass rusher. He had a natural feel working through edges of blockers, especially over the guards. And uh, I think out of that list, he's the guy that may sneak in on Friday. Now, the, the biggest thing that we'll, teams will complain about is he's not invited to the combine. He had a good season. He put a, uh, let's say, cherry on top of his season by performing as well as he did down at the Senior Bowl. Uh, but if you're going to want to work him out, then everybody's going to have to head out to Bowling Green, uh, Ohio, which is not an easy place to get to. I know you fly into Toledo or Detroit and drive down. Uh, and that's, uh, that's frustrating if you have a million things to do this time of year, right? Well, the great thing about the Combine is you have all the decision makers there, but all the decision makers can't be at every pro day. So I'll be kind of curious to see 
if he ties his pro day close to Ohio State pro day, gotcha. a lot of these kids at the smaller schools uh, will either do it the day before or the day after, since there'll be a ton of people like there always is at Ohio State. Uh, and then a lot of people, if uh, they have their pro day right day before or day after Ohio State, I wouldn't be surprised that he'd get a pretty big turnout uh, with everybody uh, jumping in a car and heading to Bowling Green, Ohio. Right. What do you got, Debo? We got a question from uh, from the old YouTubes. Ah, oh, look at that. Stu Brumhill says he loves your polo, Rick. Um, I don't know if they're available yet in the with the first pick merchandise store, but if they are, I think Debo has a uh, coupon that gets fifty percent off. You still only have to pay two hundred bucks for one of them. <laughs> uh, I love it. So um, let's go through it. We won't go through all these names of players or something to prove, but I'll just ask you the highlights uh, of sort of your overview of what you're looking for. Let's start with Lucas Van Ness because I mentioned him in a moment ago when, when talking about Karloftis. Um, he's young. He's not going to be 22 until the summer. He never started a game in Iowa. He averaged like 30 snaps a game for Iowa this season, this past fall. And he wasn't – you watch him play and you see glimpses of things that are really good, but he didn't blow you away snap in and snap out. You see the power. You see the strength. I didn't think he was incredibly twitchy, but that doesn't mean he can't be. And I remember talking to Scout about him a few weeks ago before the Senior Bowl – and he said, here's the thing. An NFL defensive line coach is going to see him. They're going to say, I can put 15 pounds on him. And they understand that he's barely shaving and his best football is ahead of him. And I talk about that when I talk about Karloftis, who wasn't playing football six or seven years ago, I don't believe. Drake Jackson out of USC last year, who fits the part physically, but didn't flash week in and week out at USC. But I had the same conversation with another scout about he's going to get overdrafted. And I thought he had a pretty good rookie campaign for San Francisco. Lucas Van Ness, if you're an evaluator and you, well, see you want to throw in another name because that the you know I threw in uh, AJ Epa with uh, the Epinesa. kid, came, yeah, Epinesa that came out. Uh, he was drafted in the second round by Buffalo, yep. but he was a long, maybe a few pounds heavier, lanky guy that played hard. I know he had probably more production, uh, but very similar as far as play style, as far as kind of just a power rusher right now can't doesn't put all the moves together yet but he does play hard he can use his hands that's all I thought he played well against Ohio State had a big game against Wisconsin in the games I watched and I think this guy has tremendous upside but you have to decide as an organization what is this guy is he a five technique I don't think he's an edge rusher yeah. uh, when you watched him on tape, Ohio State, they even stood him up from a two-point at times. Uh, and then they would reduce him down inside in some of the pass rush, situ pass rush situations uh, to put over the guard. Now, he's got pretty explosive hips and power through his lower body. And when he does gain an edge, uh, he does have bursts to me that, that closes to the quarterback. I saw him chase down uh, C.J. Stroud uh, when he stepped in, up in the pocket so I think this kid has tremendous upside. He's just raw right now from a technical standpoint. Right. But I think all the physical traits are there to really to work with this kid and be a pretty good football player. Yeah, one of the teams I talked to had him going probably like a round two grade. But again, if he slips into the round one, it's not a surprise because you're you're taking a gamble on him being three, four, five years down the line, a you know, one of the He'll 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 make it. He'll he won't. I don't think he'll be a starter right off the bat, but he'll be in a rotation. Yeah. Uh, AJ hasn't. You know, he's kind of still in a rotation up there in Buffalo. Uh, 
Yep. I think he has a little more upside. Uh, but if if uh, he goes and, and he runs a four six that size, a four seven, and that's going to push him up the board a little bit. But yeah. I saw him in the same value, kind of where uh, Buffalo. Yeah, uh, no, I think that's right. So is let's that okay about- a comparison? I mean, I appreciate when you uh, acknowledge me on my comparisons. Makes I didn't me want feel to, I self-esteem builder. That's what you do on this podcast. That's right. Well, I, I hate to tell you this, but AJ. He didn't put up very much weight at the combine. I think Van Ness is going to be stronger. I was surprised at how little, how few be, uh, reps that AJ had. I'm sure Debo told me in a second. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, I do like the comp because they're they're similar body types. I think AJ had a little more experience, um, but he wasn't blowing the doors off like like the expectations were coming into that season. Van Ness is an interesting prospect just because of there's there's so much unknown because he didn't start like he literally didn't start a game. Let me ask you about two wide receivers. 17 reps, AJ, uh, Debo says for AJ. You want more than that for uh, a five tech, right? Yeah. No, you'd like to have him at least in the 20s because that would be when you start doing your analytics and all that other stuff. You know, that's probably going to be on the lower percentile of defensive linemen. I'm laughing Uh, because Pete doesn't want to hear about the analytics or the personality test. (laughs) Well, that's why Pete will just be an invited guest every once in a while because he would screw this whole thing up. He's still learning what the draft process is about. And that's our, our very own Pete Prisco, who will be on the pod at some point. And I look forward to him and him and Rick punching each other in the face for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk two quarter, uh, two wide receivers, excuse me, that are probably trending in different directions. And, you know, you and I talked to CJ Stroud last Friday at the Super Bowl, and I was reminded that Jackson Smith and Jig was a really good football player. He only played in three games last year because of a hamstring injury, only five receptions. Maybe he could have come back. Maybe he decided not to, whatever the case, he didn't play and that's fine. But I think the, the issue is you got to go back and watch, like we said about Will Lovis all the time, 2021 tape to get an idea of who this is. He led that team in 2021 in receptions, a team that had two first rounders in Olave and Garrett Wilson. They're going to have a third first rounder in Marvin Harrison, uh, who was way down the list at that point because he was early in his career. And I think Smith and Jig was going to be a first round talent. But if you're an evaluator, Rick, tell me what you want to see from Smith and Jigba at the Combine and then compare contrast that with Kayshawn Booty, the wide receiver at LSU, who didn't have a great year because of the quarterback situation on, on one level, decided to return to school, and then undecided, decided to come back out. So what do you think about with these two players in Indy? Yeah, I think both of these guys, um, speed's going to be the big question mark. And uh, for a receiver – if they don't run fast at the combine, that usually is a uh, a negative or a red flag that will knock them down a peg. You know, you don't want to take a four six uh, receiver in the first round. You want guys that can uh, that can run, especially at that position and the way the uh, game has evolved. So, I think and the biggest thing with uh, Smith and Jigba is that. You want to see him run a 40 because you want to see him open up and you want to see is that hamstring fully healed or not? Because if he goes down the chute and let's say he pulls his hamstring again, that answers your question. And he may not run until his pro day either because usually right. some of those Ohio State guys will wait till their pro day. But you'd like to see him run uh, at the combine. And the one thing that I always thought, I always thought guys should do everything they can possibly do at the combine. <laughs> and course. if they're satisfied with their numbers, then just do the pro day workout, just do the position drills and everything else and say, Hey, I'm fine with what I ran, but I've been to pro days through my career where someone does not run at the combine. 
then all of a sudden you go to his pro day. You just sent your staff down there. You may be down there and um, spent thousands of dollars trying to get everybody down there. And uh, someone pulls or pops their hamstring on the first on the first uh, run. You don't get a 40 time and then you don't get to see him run any position drills. So guys that wait and I understand some guys are injured or some guys want to do this or that, but the quicker you can get that done and get the box checked and you're satisfied. And then if you say you didn't run well at the combine, well, you get another opportunity to maybe run faster, but everybody, if you're going to run a four, seven, you're not going to go to the pro day and also all of a sudden run a four, four, you are what you are. So get out there, Go on national TV, go compete against your uh, other position group and, and see where you stack up. Just throw a ball out there. Let's see who wants to compete. Yeah, no, that's why you fell in love with C.J. Stroud Friday when you got to talk to him because he competed in, in the, the biggest game it turned out of his career and, and changed some minds. All right, Rick, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about one more combine-related issue of a player who was snubbed and went on to have a great career, and then we're going to do a little – Player comps, because folks like that. We'll be back in one second. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. All right, we're back. So we talked about combine subs. I want to ask you about one player in particular. I'll mention some names of guys who were, in fact, snubbed and went on to have good careers. Doug Baldwin, Malcolm Butler, Julian Edelman, Antonio Gates. But I want to ask you about this guy, Tyreek Hill. I want to ask you about... Tyreek's a good player. He went to the combine. Did he uh, not? I don't think he did. I think there's some off-field issues that may have precluded him from going to the Oh, that was when we were going through, if you had an off-field issue, he was invited to the combine. I think so. But they weren't allowed to work at the combine. You were allowed to do interviews and stuff, but because of the off-field issues, that's why he didn't work at the combine. So here's the thing. Here's a guy that had to pay $250 to be able to attend a regional combine. Some guy named Adam Thielen. So tell me how you... uh, just give me the short Rick's picks version, like two minute version. So we get on these pick, it's going to these uh, comps that people love so much, but I'm interested in the Adam Thielen angle. Yeah, th- we got very lucky. I mean, you know, on how Adam Thielen turned out. In fact, he was not signed right after the draft. Mankato state was right down the street from us. Uh, we actually invited him to our rookie mini camp as a tryout guy. Uh, all of a sudden he had like three or four other invites to go try out. Uh, as a walk-on, uh, we had him for the three days, and after day one, we were we, we wanted to put him under contract right away uh, because he wasn't the fastest. He had good size. I mean, he's probably runs four fives, uh, but he was an excellent route runner, and you can just tell when we had we used to invite maybe fifty to sixty guys to come in and try out for the weekend. There's no would, downside, uh, huh? Because there's no downside. No, there's no downside. And 
he was by far, he was looking better than some of the guys that we uh, drafted in the later rounds in their, in their respective positions. And it was like, this guy may have a chance. So we signed him. He was a big, huge Minnesota Viking fan. And we were very fortunate because we were right there um, and ended up, uh, you know, making our practice squad his rookie year, eventually got elevated uh, to the active during the season because we needed a special teams player. He actually, I believe, blocked a punt, if I'm not mistaken, in the Carolina game when we were playing out outdoors at the University of uh, Minnesota Stadium where our new stadium was being built. And then we had an injury at receiver, and he went in there, made a couple plays, and then it got better and better every year. And that's uh, that's kind of the quick version of how we were probably very lucky to get an Adam Thielen. If we thought he was that good, and I say this all the time, uh, then you should have drafted him if you thought <laughs> he was going to be as good as uh, he's played for Minnesota. But you knew who he was because he oh, was yeah. scouted and all that stuff. But the great we watched, we watched him practice actually because we had training camp down in Mankato. Mm. So uh, usually while we were down there, uh, they would practice in the evenings after we were done practicing during the day once they started their training camp. So we'd go over there and, and kind of hang out and, and just watch the guys. It was, you know, and they've always had a very successful program down at Mankato State. And, uh, you know, and he uh, that's where he got on our radar originally. Then our scouts went down there, went to a couple games. And, and so we knew who he was. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we, we actually got a chance to, to see him practice while we were at training camp that year. And one of the issues is that playing against that level of competition, it's hard to differentiate whether you're going to be Adam Thielen NFL or whether you're Adam Thielen, who's just better than the rest of the kids on the field. Is that right? Yeah, and that's the, those are the things that you're trying to project, uh, and that's where analytics analytics uh, did a great job, and we called like pinging a player. He had some of the traits that ping for receiver position, and they predicted that he would be uh, definitely practice squad worthy. Can you can you give us some insight into the the pinging qualities, or is that top secret? That's uh yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways to break it down. I mean, I can't go into every detail. One of the things though that I that analytics came up with, and people don't realize this, is that when we did the psychological testing, um, one of the key traits in the psychological testing for a receiver to have success is social maturity off the field. And every Pro Bowler scored highly on a social maturity aspect of that. Which, um, which, which I would never have guessed in a million years until analytics was able to, uh, to, to point that out to us. All right, one last thing I'll ask you about this, and then we'll move on. to How often does a player make the successful jump from practice squad to, to game day roster? And successful could mean just being like a, a special teams, a critical part of the special teams unit. Oh, I, you know, you're hoping, you know, our philosophy was um, – Usually from sixth, seventh round, college free agents have maybe a, a 15% chance. Okay. So it's pretty low. That Whether it was right or wrong, my philosophy was always, well, if it's only 15%, let's get as many of those guys as we can because the more you have to choose from, maybe your percentage goes up. And we ended up having a, you know, a higher percentage on – late round free agent guys, that's not going to say they're Pro Bowl starters like Adam Thielen's been, but those guys 
do end up contributing to help you win games, whether it's a special teams role, whether it's a backup type role that, um, you know, if your guy gets hurt, uh, that they can go in and fill in for a game or two until your starter comes back. So we counted it as a success if they weren't starters, but they were helping in some way uh, to contribute and help you win games in whatever role or capacity they had. Look at that. It wasn't even on the rundown. We got a little special edition of Rick's Picks, Adam Thielen version. I love it. All right, let's talk some uh, offensive player comps. We did our quarterback player comps at the Super Bowl, and I think he spent a good time at that segment yelling at me about my comps. I even had uh, uh, a buddy in the scouting community text me and make fun of my Drew Brees Bryce Young comp, so we'll not be making that. So I wasn't the only one. You were not the only one. Pete Prisco hated your Steph Curry, Bryce Young comp, but we'll get back to that when we have Pete on the show. So let's talk offensive players. Let's start with wide receiver, and these two names have already come up this this uh, this show. Let's start with Jack Jackson Smith and Jigba. What do you got? Uh, mine is Adam Thielen. I went. I don't know how big uh, Smith and Jigba is, but I think he's going to be around six foot, around two hundred pounds. Adams roughly the same size. Both of them are excellent route runners, catch the ball extremely well. If they're going to get open down the field, they're going to probably have to use their route running ability. By that, I mean maybe putting a double move on a corner in order to get him to bite, to get separation down the field. Extremely tough when they're coming across the middle and they hang on to the ball uh, when they know they're going to get whacked. So, but that's why I had the comparison between those two. Yeah, I don't hate it. Mine is similar in terms of size, six feet, two hundred one at his combine ran a four, five, one. And you talked about the speed for Jackson Smith and Jigba. That, that'll be something that's interesting to see. I had Robert Woods out of USC. And, and again, he's a tough player. He's not a number one. I don't know if Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be a number one at the next level. And I think Robert Woods has exceeded expectations after perhaps initially not. I think he's gotten better. He's quietly a really good receiver. I don't know if Jackson Smith and Jig was ever going to be Garrett Wilson or, or Chris Olave, and they've only played one year, but they, they've been really good for their respective teams. Uh, but I, I'm going with with Robert Woods. You seem to hate I, that. Hate yeah, that no, the other I, I'll agree with you on that. That's Jeez. a pretty good one. Yeah, you are sick. <laughs> 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 All right. Jordan Addison, he may be, he's one of your favorite. You talk about me liking the little guys. Between Bryce Young and Jordan Addison, you're becoming a little Ryan Wilson in your uh, evaluations. What do you got for, for Jordan well, Addison? Well, he's a, he's a little taller than 5'7 on all the guys that you like that are 5'7 or lower. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, he, he's 5, I think he's going to measure 5'10 or 5'11, which is tall enough, but very thin. I think he has excellent speed, on at least on the tapes that I've watched. I'm anxious to see what he runs. But that's why I kind of compared him to a, a Devontae Smith. He didn't have the same overall production this year that Devontae had when he came out of Alabama. But I saw a linear, uh, thin receiver with excellent speed, and he has some elusiveness after the catch. So that's why I came up with that comparison. Yeah, and the, the funny thing is, even though he had a great year with Caleb Williams the year before with P- Kenny Pickett, he was even somehow better. And more explosive. I like your comp better than mine. Um, this young man that I'm about to name measured five nine and a half, one eighty at the combine, which is tiny. He plays bigger than that, although he struggled with drops at times. Jalen Waddle, what are you laughing at? So I went, I went with Jalen. They're Waddell. two different type body types. They I- are. That's why I like George a little better because Jalen Waddle's not a linear player. 
um, when you talk about Devonta Smith. Although Devonta does have wiggle, he j- it just doesn't show up as often. Jalen's used more on these crossing routes, but I, I think that Jordan Addison can have success at all three levels in terms of route running. He plays much bigger than he is. He runs through arm tackles. Those are things that Jalen doesn't necessarily do. But I start with the size and weight, and then I go from there. And uh, again, listen, you got a thirty-year head van- uh, head start on me in terms of evaluating guys. So. <laughs> Give me the benefit of the doubt there. Just uh, guessing like everybody else. Just guessing like everyone else. Jameer Gibbs, uh, we both like Jameer Gibbs a lot. You saw him a lot at Alabama in the fall. Who do you got? Yeah, I went with uh, Christian McCaffrey, who Pete's been just beating me up on that comparison. So just so, let me be clear, because I need to do this more often. Jameer Gibbs, running back out of Alabama, transferred from Georgia Tech, had a good season in the fall. You have him compared to Christian McCaffrey. And the reason I came with Christian McCaffrey, they're similar in size. I think they both have very good speed, but what made Christian very unique and I think what makes uh, Jameer Gibbs unique is they both are excellent receivers out of the backfield and how, excuse me, how uh, San Francisco used McCaffrey when they put him in the slot and try to create mismatches in one-on-one situations, whether it was a safety or a linebacker over top of him. I think Jameer Gibbs can play a similar type role that you don't have to just have him in the backfield. You can use him because he's such an explosive athlete around multiple spots on the offensive line to try to create some mismatches. I mean, the Tennessee game, the one catch that really stuck out to me, uh, he was on a wheel wheel route uh, going down the left sideline as you watch the tape and made an incredible – back shoulder type catch that you would see a receiver make. He did have one drop on an F angle route. That was the first drop I seen him make, I believe all year. Uh, But I think because of the speed, because of his ability to play multiple positions to try to create mismatches, uh, I think that's why I came up with that comparison. I don't hate it. Coming out of Stanford in 2017, McCaffrey was 5'11", 202 at the Combine. The, the comp I'm making, and it's one we've talked about before, Alvin Kamara, and Alvin Kamara coming out of, of, of college out of Tennessee was 5'10", 214. And I, I think you, you've you said this before, Gibbs is not going to be probably that big, at least initially. No. And that'll be perhaps some of the durability concerns if there are such, you know, the, if those are the things that are weighing on evaluators' minds. But he is explosive. You mentioned that the, the ability to obviously run the ball but also catch the ball. And that's why I went with Kamara. Um and your guy, Dalvin Cook, also may, makes sense as well. Um, again, not as big as, as either of those players, but all three of those guys in the same basket, McCaffrey, Kamara, Cook, and then you add in Jameer Gibbs. I think you can see some of that in his game. All right, next up, running back Bijan Robinson, who is your running back one. I think he's going to be my running back one. I don't know. I love Jameer Gibbs. We'll see. But I think we, we do have the same comp, but you, you can tell me what you think, who best fits, Running back, B. John Robinson, running back out of Texas as a cop. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll agree with you, and I'll let you talk on this one. Saquon Barkley, I think everybody that's that's about as low hanging fruit as you tried to pick with uh, Gibbs and Kamara. Uh, so, that's but uh, to me. yeah, but I'll give you this one. You go ahead and tell me why you think that's a good comp because I definitely agree with you. Here's the thing: when you see Saquon on the field, he is so thick. He doesn't look like he's six feet, which is what he listed at the combine. He looks like he's 5'10", probably 220, maybe 225. He's six feet, 233 at the combine. Um, he may be bigger than that now. All that muscle appears to be in his thighs. And Bijan is big. Like, Bijan is also a tall running back who 
I don't know if he runs as low as Saquon, but he's as close to Saquon in terms of one cut and go. He's going to run through arm tackles all day. He's a, an absolute attribute as a receiver, and sometimes you don't see that in bigger, quote, quotation mark, running backs whose sole job it feels like is just to be a battering ram between the tackles. But he can bounce it outside. Uh, he can outrun anyone to the end zone. We saw that numerous times last season at Texas. And the only concern, if you want to call it that, is that maybe he – his draft stock gets pushed down because of the position he plays and their needs everywhere else. But if we're making a list of the best players coming out, he's probably top 10. Yeah, no, if you just look at his ability, he's probably a top 10. It's just what value are you putting on at that position, especially when you start looking at your board um, and you have maybe a position that's not as heavy on the back end I think you got to go with with him. While you take a sip of water, we'll move on to the next guy. Please don't die on the podcast. If we get huge numbers. It's been a long two weeks. <laughs> but then we would have to replace you. All right. The last guy um, <coughs> in terms of our offensive prop uh, comps among the uh, guys going to be at the Combine, tight end Michael Mayer, Notre Dame. Great season. One of my favorite <laughs> players in terms of being a, just a football guy. He He fits that mold. <coughs> He's just so good that he didn't. He doesn't qualify for, uh, you know what? What our list, what our list usually, uh, day two, day three guys. So Michael Mayer, tight end, Notre Dame. I'll go with this one. Pete, Pete Prisco hated this. Eh, you may have hated it as well. But this was a hard for me because it's hard to find a guy who does all the things he does. He's more of a throwback, I think. So I went with Mark Andrews, who wasn't a day one guy, but he was incredibly important to what they do in Baltimore. He can block but he's more important in the middle of the field. And I think Mayer gives you that sort of production, especially if he lands at a place like the Chargers or he goes to um, the Chiefs. Uh, so I think fit obviously matters because about a lot of these guys, but Michael Mayer, my tight end one, that could change in terms of how the teams feel about him, but I love him. And you have a an old school comp for, for him. Yeah, I went back to Jason Witten. Um, cause I don't think Mark Andrews was a great blocker when he came out of Oklahoma. Right. Uh, he's more used in the passing game. They re- removed him from the formation, put him a lot in a slot and try to create mismatches that way. <clears throat> I think Mayer is a little bit more like a Jason Witten where he can play on the line as a wide tight end, uh, but also be effective in a passing game. I just don't think he's a vertical threat. No, I think that's right. And there'll be a lot of tight ends. This is a deep heading class. We're looking for tight ends. Um, but here's the thing. That's it for the show today. We're gonna we're gonna ferry Rick off to the to the hospital to get some more lozenges. Because we gotta save his voice. We gotta save his voice because we're coming back Thursday, Rick. We've got another podcast. We're doubling up going twice a week. We're gonna start doing more mock drafts. Uh fingers crossed, Rick, you feel better and you got forty eight hours, so get your mind right. But thank you for joining us, everyone. This was episode 11. 11 11 episodes into this thing. A few weeks, we'll be in Indianapolis live for the Combine. But we'll see you in two days. We have our next With the First Pick podcast this Thursday afternoon, probably 2 p.m., but we'll let you know via the, the social media. All right. Thank you, guys.